Well, good morning and welcome, everybody. Have a seat. Thank you for being here today on this beautiful, freezing cold Super Bowl Sunday. We had to pay our penance for the good weather that we had the last couple of weeks and last couple of days. And so we are, uh, we're paying it now. It's freezing out there, but it's Super Bowl Sunday. You don't have to go outside at all today after this. You get home, you get your queso, your Rotel, and your Velveeta in the microwave, and you've got everything that you need for the next 12 hours, okay? We're going to make it. Man, if it's your first Sunday with us, I'm just so honored that you're here today. Thanks for being here. Uh, what a gift it is to have you. Hey, our production team works so hard, and there is so much. Give them. There is so much technology going on up here, and so, uh, man, we're just so grateful for you guys and for how hard you work and, uh, and for all the problems that you solve, and so... Little bit going on this morning, but that is all right. I got some exciting things to talk to you about before I get started this morning. Uh, first, today is the beginning of life group sign ups at the Gathering Church. Listen. There are very few things that are more important at the gathering and in the life of the gathering than life groups. We really believe that that's where the magic happens. That's where you, you build community and you make friends that can help you grow closer to Jesus, that can help you find freedom, that can help you live the life that you're trying to move towards. It happens in life groups. Life group uh, Sunday is a big deal because our life groups fill up fast. And so today you want to sign up for a life group. If you don't sign up today, no guarantee you'll get in the one you want to be in. And so after service, you can go outside and some of your life group leaders will be at a table right back there for you to meet and get to know them. There is our life group coordinators, Josh and Taylor Davis, back there with a little uh, takeaway about every group. It's got a picture of the leaders on it, little information. And so you can take that with you, go home and sign up online today as well uh, at gatherashville.com org slash life groups? I don't know. I made up that website. If you go, if you go to gatherashville.org, it'll be a banner right there that you can click to sign up for a life group. And so uh, probably I also made, sorry, Robert, I'm stressing Robert out right now, but I know that second one is true. And so sign up for a life group. Second thing is that next Sunday is our sixth birthday as a church. This church is six years old, you guys. I can't believe it. You know, I, I told some I told somebody this morning that I think that this church is closer to 20 years old is what it feels like to me. That's what my, my receding hairline would want you to believe. And so uh, <laughs> we are going to have a great Sunday next week. We got gifts for everybody, good ones you are going to want to get here because they are going to fly off the shelves, okay? Maybe a little something to hide your receding hairline, if you know what I mean, okay? So you want to get here next Sunday early, uh, and then we're going to have... Uh, just a lot of fun, a great week celebrating our sixth birthday, be sharing some vision with you, talking about who we are as a church and where we're going, uh, taking a little pause from this series. And so uh, cannot wait. I hope that you come and celebrate with us. It's a great Sunday to bring somebody with you, to invite somebody to church and, and, uh, and they can come and celebrate with us and learn about who we are and where we're going. And so next Sunday, our sixth birthday, uh, we can't wait for that. Well, today... We are in the third week of our series on the parables of Jesus. 
called Help Me Understand. Help Me Understand. Jesus often taught using stories called parables. He would take things from situations in everybody's everyday lives. He would relate it to the kind of people that he was talking to and the kind of world that they lived in. And he would use those stories to help people understand the kingdom of God, the ways of God, even the heart of God, the mind of God. Uh, God wants to be known by you. He wants you to understand who he is and how he thinks. He wants you to know what's important to him. He wants you to know how to be in relationship with him. He wants you to know what he thinks about you. He wants to be known by you. So Jesus made the things of God as plain for us as he could because he wants to help us understand. Today we're going to read what I think is one of the most powerful chapters of Scripture that there is. Uh, I'm going to read the whole chapter too, so buckle in, get ready. If you didn't come here to hear the Bible today, then I'm sorry, okay? This is, this is going to be a good one. Luke 15, Luke chapter 15. Uh, let's get started in this chapter today because today I want to help you understand what God thinks about lost things. I want to help you understand his priority around things that are lost. Verse 1 says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Usually when you hear Jesus talked about like this, it separates sinners and tax collectors into two categories. There was a hierarchy here. First, sinners. Sinners was just everybody who didn't go to church to these folks. It was just all the people who weren't very good at practicing Judaism, which was the law and the religion of the land they were living in. And, and, and the tax collectors they were a whole other category of evil. They were the people uh, who were Jewish people who agreed to work for the Roman government collecting taxes on behalf of the government. So they were traitors. They were the scum of the earth. And you always see Jesus around these people, tax collectors and sinners. It says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Verse 2, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, muttered, what a word. They were out there muttering. <laughs> That's what they were doing. They muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They were disgusted by it. I just, I just love that he uses the word muttered. I'm really trying to get that in my head of what they were doing over there. They were all standing around. They were being church people is what they were doing. They were all standing around just off to the side going, this man eats with sinners. <laughs> First thing that you need to know today is that Jesus loves the undeserving. Jesus loves the undeserving. There's a beautiful show about Jesus that you can watch for free online called The Chosen. I'm just, oh, I'm just gonna be honest. I'm not like a big Christian movies guy. If it's got Kirk Cameron in it, I'm going the other way, okay? <laughs> Most of the time. Unless it's growing pains and then I'm all in. But, but usually I'm just, I'm just turned off by the cheesiness, but this show is great. It's not cheesy. It's a really good depiction of Jesus. You can watch it for free on the internet. But there's this powerful moment in the first episode where the Pharisees go to question a woman who was demon-possessed and healed by Jesus. And she makes this statement. She says, all I know is that I was one way and now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was Jesus. So I don't know about you, but at the time in my life when I entered a relationship with Jesus, I didn't feel very deserving of his sacrifice. I didn't feel very deserving of his attention or deserving of his love. If you want the whole story, come to step one, but here's some highlights. 
I was 19 years old when I joined the Coast Guard. I was as lost as a person could be by every definition of the word. I was adrift in the world. I didn't know which way to go. I felt untethered. I felt lost. I constantly lied about who I was. You know, I was, I was in this new career and I was meeting people and I was constantly making stuff up about myself and about my identity. And, and the reason that I did that was because I hated who I was. I partied harder than anybody that I knew. I was proud of it. And it wasn't because I thought it was fun. It was because I desperately wanted people to like me more than I liked myself. I was desperately searching for purpose, but I didn't find it anywhere that I looked. And that made me mean, and it made me hopeless and confused. I was depressed, really depressed. I didn't want to live with myself anymore. Right before I met Jesus, when I was 21 years old, I made an attempt on my own life. I just didn't feel like I deserved to live, let alone did I feel like I deserved anybody's love, let alone the love of my Savior. But Romans 5, 6 and 8 says, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for you at your very worst, not at your best. He loved you, he loved us, he loved me so much at my very worst that he was willing to give his life for me. It's not about whether or not we wanted it or deserved it. It was just his decision because it's who he is. When you were at your worst, Christ died for you. All the religious people standing around Jesus, they didn't understand it. If Jesus is the son of God, then surely he should be spending all of his time with the people of God. He should be looking for the holiest of holy. He needs to be finding the ones that are getting it all right all of the time. Surely they are the ones deserving of the attention of the Messiah and not these tax collectors and sinners. But he didn't come for the religious people. Mark 2.17, Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor but sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. After Jesus hears them over there muttering, he launches into three different stories to help them understand the priority and the heart of God. These three stories, your Bible it does little headings and it says the parables of the lost things. He tells three different stories about lost things and it's not, his heart is to communicate to the religious people that they would understand how much he values the people that he's standing next to. So the second thing that you need to learn from Luke chapter 15 is that Jesus loves lost things. Verse three, it says, Jesus told him this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. 
I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Jesus loves lost things. He pursues them. He loves the righteous. Don't get me wrong. In this parable, the shepherd doesn't turn his heart from the sheep who aren't lost. He doesn't not care about them. They don't not matter to him. He puts them in a good green pasture where they can rest and be safe and be happy. But the attention of the shepherd is turned entirely towards the one that has wandered away. Have you ever lost anything important? Maybe you lost a child in a crowded space and you got three other kids, but until that lost child is found, you can think of nothing else. Nothing else occupies your mind. Jesus tells a second parable to illustrate it more. Verse eight, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she does find it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus knows not everybody is into sheep. It's like not everybody gets the sheep thing. All y'all ain't shepherds, but everybody here understands money. We all get that one. He put that one out there for the generations of people to follow. If you got $10,000 in your bank account and you lose a $100 bill in your house somewhere, you will tear that place apart looking for it. Gotta find it. Where is it? Nothing happens until I find my $100 bill. I got a Christmas card one time or a birthday card with $100 in it and I lost it like two days later. I am, guys, I lose stuff all the time. I would say 30% of my life is trying to find something that I just recently lost. I'm just looking for it. And I had this card, and I'm supposed to always put them in the same place, but I didn't, and I put it somewhere else, and I lost it. And I didn't want to tell Rael. I didn't want anybody to know. I was, I was like trying to anxiously search in secret. I'm like wandering all around the house. Rael's like, what are you looking for? I'm like, Nothing. I'm looking for anything. Leave me alone. I'm yelling at her about it. <laughs> Tried to find this thing. I looked everywhere. I tore the whole place apart. It didn't matter what I had in the bank account. It didn't matter what I had in my wallet. All that mattered to me was that $100 gift card that was lost somewhere. I had to find it. Consuming my thoughts, my attention, and my time until the second that I found it. And when I found it, it was like getting it new all over again. It was underneath my dresser in my closet, you guys. I don't even know how it got there. I don't even remember taking it upstairs. That's where it was. And I, in my closet, surrounded by all these clothes that I already have, absolutely celebrating that I was going to buy some more clothes with this gift card. Yes! That's how our minds work. That's how our minds work. It's hard to think about all the things we currently have when something that we need, that we want, that we love is missing. And that's God's heart here. You need to know that if you're not in a relationship with him, it's not like he doesn't care about you and it's not like he doesn't think about you. He's obsessed with you. He's obsessed with finding you. And when he does find you or you find him. He's not waiting there to wag a finger at you for being missing. He's going to call everyone into the room to celebrate. And I was at rock bottom 
and somebody shared the gospel with me in the form of a gentle nudge back towards Jesus. And I remember being afraid. I had grown up in church, and if God was real, wasn't he going to be mad at me for all the things that I had done since I left? I knew him as a kid, but I had done so many bad things, had made so many poor choices since then. Wouldn't he be standing there at the door ready to punish me? But that's not who God is. He came for you. He searched for you. He gave his life for you when you were at your very worst. Paul tried to answer this in Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgression and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. In other words, when you were as good as dead, that's when he came to find you. That's when he gave his life for you. That's when he called you into relationship with him. Not before, not after, not once you had made it right, and once you had, had made all the right decisions and checked all the right boxes. That's not what he required of you. He went and found you when you were completely helpless of yourself. Romans 2.4 says, It is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. He is not a vengeful God. He is not wagging his finger waiting for you to come to him with a long list of ways you're going to make it right. He is kind and he is good and he is waiting for you. Luke 15 is Jesus' reminder to us that we can never outrun his love. Number three, you can never outrun his love. He tells these two stories that are short with a quick point, and then he leads it into a longer story. It's called the story of the prodigal son. Let's read it. Verse 11 says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. For someone to do that in this culture is to turn their back on their family. The, the share exists to carry on the family line. But for a son to go to his father and say, I want what I have, what is, I'm going to get, I want my share, now is the same thing as a son going to his father and saying, this family is, is as good as dead to me. And I want to take my money and go live the way that I want to live apart from you. It was a very hurtful moment for the father. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but nobody gave him anything. You will never be satisfied apart from God. You will never be satisfied apart from God. So many of us can relate to the son in this story. We long to be satisfied, to have fun, to live the life we dream of living. We want purpose. We want meaning. We want all of it. And for many of us, we assume that we'll find it out there in the world somewhere. So we look high and low. We, out, we look. And that's my story. I wanted all of that and more. And I'd become 
convinced that I wouldn't find it in the church or Christianity or any of that. I became convinced that the answer was just out in the world somewhere. So I searched the world, but everything I found was never going to be enough. The best Friday nights ended up with me alone in my bed feeling emptier than ever. The Coast Guard missions that should have been the most fulfilling, should have given me the most direction, the most purpose in my life, left me wondering if there was more to this life or if this was all there was. In this story, the son was wealthy enough to live the life of his dreams. But a famine came, and before long, it is all gone, and he's left with nothing, and his life is at absolute rock bottom. So I don't know your story, but I've been at rock bottom. I've seen it. And I know that when you're there, you don't think you're ever getting out of it. You don't think you're ever going to see the sun again. You don't think there's ever going to be a good day to follow. That's where he is in verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. See, I think there's a moment for almost all of us that comes like that. It says, when he came to his senses. You're at rock bottom. And maybe you're not living in a pig pen eating, trying to eat pig food and not even being offered the pig food. Maybe you're not in as dire straits as where I found myself those years ago. But maybe you do have a feeling of desire for more. You have an emptiness inside of you that you just want, you want some sort of answer to. You believe something was made to fill that space in your heart and you're looking and you're looking and I believe we all have that moment where we have to make a decision. It says, when he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, where we can make the decision to go looking somewhere different than where we've been before. Because our tendency is to always just keep looking in the exact same places over and over and over again, expecting different results. I'm just going to look for my fulfillment in people. And if this person lets me down, it's a different person. They'll make me feel better. And when that person lets me down, I'll look someone else. And they'll give me fulfillment and peace. Maybe it's my job. And when this job doesn't fill me up, I'm going to quit that job and I'm going to start a new one. And when that doesn't work, I'm going to quit that one and start. We keep looking in the same places over and over again to fill up these voids in our hearts. And then a moment comes, maybe, when you come to your senses and you think, maybe I should look somewhere different. Maybe where I've been doing hasn't been working. The son says, man, my father's servants, they live better than I live. Maybe he'll let me be a servant. Maybe I can just come back in some capacity. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. He's rehearsing the speech the whole way. He's thinking it through and he said, Father, I, I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. And so make me one of your servants and I will live like one of them for the rest of my life. He's just thinking as he's walking on this journey, he's thinking about exactly what he's going to say. He's thinking about how he is going to apologize. He's making the speech happen over and over again in his mind because he knows that there is a better place than where he has been looking. Because everything that you're looking for only exists in the presence of your father, in the presence of God. This man's at rock bottom, and he realizes that all he needs in life, he once had in relationship with his father. 
Maybe you've been in church all your life. Now you've been gone a while. You want to go back, but you're nervous. So much has happened since you left. Does God even want you? Do you even deserve him? Are you ready to let people in again? Are you ready to let God in again? I want to remind you and assure you today, what you're looking for, what you have been looking for, you are only going to find in one place, relationship with your father. And in our heads, we get the image that maybe your earthly father gave you when you messed up. Oh man, one time I got home late on curfew because I was speeding and I got a speeding ticket and I was speeding because I was already going to be late. Oh my gosh, you guys, I got home. My dad was waiting for me as he should have been. And he was waiting for me and I had that ticket in my hands. It was not a good day. And maybe your, your earthly fathers put that image in you. And honestly, y'all don't be hating on your father. You messed up. It's his job to give you some discipline. Come on now. But maybe that's what you think God is like. And you've been gone and you've wandered off or maybe you've never really known him. But because you have that image in your head still of the teenage kid walking through the door with that one light on in the living room and dad sitting in that chair and you know the butterflies like you're just like maybe I should leave and join the army. Maybe that would be better than having this conversation right now. (laughs) And you think God's going to be like that. You think the moment you step back into a conversation with him, relationship with him, maybe you thought the moment you came through our doors today, God would be waiting for you to wag his finger, to tell you all the things that you had done wrong, to punish you, to tell you how you've disappointed him and this family. You've been a disappointment to me and to this family. That's what this son thought. So much so that he wrote the speech. You ever done that? You ever wrote and rehearsed the apology speech? I have. I've been on the way home before with the apology speech on replay in my mind. I've done it as an adult recently in my marriage, (laughs) rehearsing that apology speech. Verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. You know, God describes himself the first time in the book of Exodus, chapter 34. And it's this really amazing, just beautiful, awesome story where God reveals his nature to man for the first time. He declares his name out loud for the second time. And then he describes himself. And he starts by saying, he says, Yahweh, Yahweh, that's his name. And he says, a compassionate and gracious God. So the very first thing that God wants you to know about himself is that he's compassionate. That compassion is what drives his heart. Compassion is what drives his thoughts about you. It's not anger. It's not not a desire for punishment. It's compassion. While he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and he ran to his son threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. He's going into the speech. He's been rehearsing this all day. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called. But the father said to the servants, he ignores it. 
Flat out ignores it. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. We're having a feast to celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he has been found. And so they began to celebrate. Jesus is telling this story to the religious people who are standing there to help them understand how much he loves lost things. To the people that are listening, that are tax collectors and sinners and who have been told they're not good enough to go into church and they're not good enough to know God. To the people who've been cast aside by their own choices and their own decisions and all the things that they've done that have separated them from God. Jesus looks at them and he says, our God loves lost things. He pursues them. And when they come home, he doesn't wait for excuses. He doesn't wait for reasons. He doesn't wait for apologies. He cannot wait to celebrate that they are home. Here's the image I get. Every day at a certain time, the father stands out on his porch looking off into the distance, into the direction that his son left in. Every day for years he watches And nobody comes. And then one day, one day a figure appears on that hill. And this father, he's a man of wealth and a man of dignity. But the moment he sees that figure crest the hill, he knows who it is. And all of his dignity goes away. And he throws off his robe. And he runs across that field as fast as he can. He gets to his son and he wraps him up in the embrace of a father. He kisses his head. And the son begins the speech he's been rehearsing. And the father just silences him. Shh. He doesn't need an apology. He doesn't want an excuse. He wants his son. So he gets the fatted calf and there's a celebration tonight. My son was dead and now he's alive again. Your father in heaven isn't wagging his finger at you. He's not just waiting on you to come with the best apology. He's not waiting on you to get it all right. He's waiting patiently to wrap you up in his embrace. He wants to celebrate you. He doesn't want your apology. He wants your presence. He wants you to come home today, to feel his arms wrapped around you, to rest and find peace in your heart and at last in the presence of your Savior. There is justice in the heart of God. He says that in that passage in Exodus 34. It says he's a compassionate and gracious God, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. But it says he does punish the wicked. There's justice in the heart of God, but he put all of it onto Jesus. All of it. All the punishment that you ever deserved landed on Jesus on the cross. And what that did was it cleared the field the field between the son and the father, the field between the child of God, you and God, that distance. There was a lot of sin and a lot of baggage and a lot of stuff in between you there in that field. There really was. Jesus came and he put, it, he put his life on the line for you. He said, all this stuff that's separating you, I'm gonna take it away. I'm just gonna, 
I'm going to take it on myself. He took that punishment. He took the brutal death on the cross as your punishment so that you could made, be made whole, so that you could be made clean, so that you could come home with nothing in between you and God. There is nothing left. See, it's already been done. You don't have to go find it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to check all the boxes off. It's done. The field is clear. It's clear. All you've got to do is crest the hill and the Father will come running to you with nothing on his mind but the celebration that you're home. Nothing else on his mind. It's only in your heart where the shame lives. It's only in your heart where the guilt lives. He wants to take that away. He wants to bind up the broken. Isaiah 61 says he wants to bind up the brokenhearted and set the captives free. That's who he is. That's who God is. There's a message for Christians here too. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. Remember there were two sons? One's been there the whole time. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants over and asked, what the heck is going on? Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry, refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could just celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, he was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Christian, everything he has is yours. Everything he has is yours. You are with him always and everything he has is yours. Celebrate what he celebrates and search for what he searches for. Maybe this is what it sounds like in our culture. I don't know why this church puts so much energy into attracting new people and unbelievers. I don't know why everything has to be so tailored to a first-time guest on a Sunday. I've been here for years. What about me? Why isn't it more about me? What about what I need? What about me? Everything we have is yours. All the resources we can give you are here. We want to invest in you. We want to develop you. We want to see you reach full spiritual maturity. We're always, I'm always just trying to think up new ways to help people grow closer to Jesus, to help people who are found feel more fulfilled, understand and know their purpose more, get connected better. And we want to invest in it. If you take the initiative, you'll find us ready to meet you there. But there are those who are lost and now they are found. Rejoice with us as we look for those who are dead so that they can become alive again. The bottom line is this. God loves lost things. He never gives up on you as long as there's breath in your lungs. 
And once you're found, he wants you to help him find others and to celebrate with him when they become found as well. Maybe you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus. I hope this glance at Luke 15 has helped you understand how much God values people who are lost, people who don't know him or have a relationship with him yet. His attention is fixed on it. He wants to see them come home. May you have the same sense of urgency over finding those who are lost that our Father in heaven does. Join us in it here at the gathering. Get on the dream team. Help us create environments where people get found. Become an inviter. Bring people with you here so they can hear the message of Jesus and they can go from being dead to being alive again. Maybe you're here today and you're one of these people God has been searching for. You've been lost. And lost is exactly how you felt, adrift, trying to find direction, uncertain about whether or not you're even welcome back in the house of the Father, uncertain where that house is. Today can be the day that you crest that hill. Today can be the day that you see that that field is empty, that there is nothing between you and him, that he can come to you, wrap you up in his arms, and celebrate your entering into his presence today. If you're here and you'd like to enter into a relationship with Jesus, it's as simple as just saying yes to what's already been offered. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You just say this prayer with me and it'll start a journey. It's the start of a journey. You don't just say the prayer and then you wake up and you're just 100,000 times better the next day. God's obsessed with finding lost things. He's also obsessed with helping them grow. We talked about that last week. You can go back and listen to that message about seeds and how they grow. God loves to make things grow and grow well. But he loves to see what was dead become alive again. Say this prayer with me if you're ready to enter into that relationship. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me for all the mistakes I've made. Forgive me for trying to do it on my own. I believe in you. And I give all of my life to you today. Everything that I am from this moment forward, I am yours. Wrap me up in your embrace. I need you. In Jesus' name, amen.